AI fairness is about making sure that the model works equally well for everyone. Welcome to the Open at Intel podcast, where we're all about open source, from software to security to innovation and beyond. I'm your host, Katherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist at Intel, bringing you leading edge, free ranging conversations from some of the best minds in the open source community. Let's get into it. I sat down with Melinda Thielbar, Vice President of Data Science at Fidelity Investments and Ezekiel Lanza, my fellow open source evangelist at Intel, in the open.intel booth at All Things Open. We discussed Fidelity's new release of its open source package called Jurity for testing fairness in AI models, what fairness in AI means, and the importance of open source packages and transparency in fairness testing and responsible AI. Join us for a deeply fascinating and important discussion. Hi, Melinda. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fantastic conference so far for me. Uh, I know both you and Easy who are joining me. Easy is my esteemed colleague in the <laughs> field of AI. Uh, you both gave some really interesting talks yesterday that have to do with ethics and AI. And I think those are, it's, it's an incredibly important topic and it's kind of a hot topic. So um, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and what you do and a little bit about your talk. I'm hoping it's recorded. If it is recorded, I'll, I'll link to it here in the description. So, so yeah, my name is Melinda Thielbar. Um, I'm a vice president of data science at Fidelity Investments, and I'm a practice lead, which means my responsibility is to make sure we're following the best practices for AI and data science models. The talk I gave yesterday is actually about Fidelity's new release of its open source package for testing fairness in AI models. The name of the code or the name of the repository, the name of the package is Jurity. So this is Jurity 2.0.0. We all know what a .0 release means. <laughs> it has been thoroughly and heavily tested. But what's the, the big change in Jurity 2.0 is that we've added something called probabilistic fairness. You'll also hear me refer to it as surrogate class. And what this new feature allows you to do is even if you haven't collected demographics, so AI fairness is about making sure that the model works equally well for everyone. So we've discovered problems in the past where AI models don't always work for everyone. So um, you know, there's been some really classic cases of like facial recognition yes. not working on people with dark skin. And so that is one example where what, what you probably wanted to do there was separate people out and say, okay, light-skinned people, people with different shades of skin, let's look at how the model performs for each of those groups and make sure that it works for, for every skin tone that we see. But in a lot of cases, a lot of businesses don't have the information they want. So for example, if you're trying to test your model for whether or not it's fair across racial groups, a lot of companies don't consider your racial or ethnic identity any of their business, right? That's sensitive information. They? Yeah. <laughs> they, and so if they collect it, they have to secure it. It's considered a cost for them. And so they want to test their models for fairness, but they don't want to ask people. And people are really reluctant to share that with, like, mm -hmm. for example, a financial institution. I'm not speaking for Fidelity in particular, but yeah. just in general, you know, they don't want to tell you that. So what surrogate class analysis allows you to do is say, okay, look, I don't know how you identify, but I know something about you that is kind of related. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to use that information 
not to infer your identity, because again, that's not the, the, the important piece here. I'm going to use it to infer how the model works for people who are, who are like you, right? And so it's an alternate way to group people up and evaluate how the model works for those people. Yeah, um, I mean, it's very interesting. I've also been talking about explainable AI and responsible AI and how important it is. I do have a question because it's most people, when they try, or most developers, when we try to work with responsible AI or fairness, we don't know where to find the tools for each particular vertical. Probably you have something that works just for healthcare, something just works only for finance. And in your case, particularly, it's your toolkit oriented for a particular vertical. I mean, it can work for multiple times of data, of data sets or types of data sets. Yeah, so Jurdy works for basically any model that's a classifier. So okay. if you're trying to classify, you know, if you're trying to do something like even ranking content for your website, and again, you want to make sure it's fair, we have elements there. So Jurdy's got kind of a complete package. But one of the things I liked about working on this project was that we weren't thinking about, we weren't thinking about like the financial vertical. We were taking a more holistic approach and saying, okay, this is the math. I have a PhD in statistics. That's, that's where I start, right? This is what the math says. And this is the type of math that we can contribute to. So probabilistic fairness surrogate class, it has been tested heavily on binary classifiers. Mm -hmm. There, there are definitely applications, and I would love to see some contributions for other types of models. But the industry, the vertical, it does not matter. It should work for any, awesome. any vertical. Awesome. And you are looking for contributors. I mean, are you building or trying to build a community around your... Because you know that the, that the audience and probably... And this is another question that I have to, to you about the, how you see the, the community of the responsible AI. Because there are multiple toolkits, like, I don't know, IBM 360, Google What If, and so on. And if I am a developer, I would like to be involved of, of what should I start and how can I know that, right? Yeah, so there are a few open source packages out there that are really excellent. So there's ours, obviously, I'm biased. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we all have to share our biases. Yeah, yeah. But there's also a fairness package called Equitas, mm -hmm. which has some really nice features for people who are testing models who are maybe not high-level AI practitioners. IBM has a tool called AIF360. And that, that project is very active. I would say if you're trying to get started in fairness, I would look at like those big three. And I would love to hear about others that are, that are really working for you and that people are using. And I would just, you know, like look at their user guide, look at their contribution guidelines and go from there. The other thing I will say is that because... Because companies consider this a cost, right? It's a cost to check your model. It's a cost to see that it's fair. This is a case where there is a really great story to tell your board about why you should be spending a little bit of time to contribute and support and maintain these packages. Because if you have to license that from a company on top of everything else and you don't get any control over it, right? it's just... it's such a better prop value proposition for open source. And none of this should be proprietary, right? Like, I, there's no argument that, oh, our fairness tests are better than yours. Yeah. Therefore, our software is more valuable. Like, that's, that's non-existent here. This is, this is truly a community. I love it. Um, I, apologies if I missed this earlier, but could you explain a little bit about how the correlation works, how you identify mm. that a person 
is within a particular demographic group. Again, as you say, since people are hesitant to share that information. Yeah. And so, um, again, I want to be really clear. There are a lot of fairness packages that do this kind of work that try to identify your demographic. And we don't. We mm. actually take oh, okay. a higher level step back from that. And we say, okay. And the, the classic is the zip code because the U.S. Census collects a lot of demographic data by zip code. So if you know the zip code, what you do is you group everybody up by zip code. And you say, okay, does the model <sighs> performance change as the demographics of the zip code change. So you look at average performance by group, but the group is zip code now. It's not, it's not black or white or Hispanic. It's zip code A, zip code B, zip code C. And what you want to see is that the model doesn't do any better or any worse as the demographics in those zip codes change. Okay. And then, um, and like... My bread and butter from the, the bygone days when I was only a statistician, like looking at change across groups as um, particular features in that group's change, there's, there's a 200-year history in statistics of people kind of trying to figure this out for lots of reasons. And so there's all this lovely math about when you can do it, what you need to watch out for. The paper that we wrote that is part of the Lion Conference, the Learning and Intelligent Optimization Conference that we presented at this year, kind of goes into detail about what this looks like, what your data needs to look like, like what kind of, what, what your surrogate class and those proportions, those demographic proportions need to look like in order for the, the data to really work, in order for the model to give you a good answer, right? You want to know, does it work? Does, does this model's metrics change as the demographics change? That's, that's the research question. And there are, there are some foundational assumptions about how the data has to look for that to work, but they're really mild. And what we discovered as we were working was that the method we chose, the algorithm we chose, was really robust. I mean, even in cases where the assumptions were not perfect, it still gave us a really good answer. I have a question about it, because I just wanted to add something about just kind of explanation. Is just because most models, we need to do that, because most models, they, when they are trained a model, is trained to perform better in the majority of the places that you have. So if you have most cases of something, the model will be work better with this particular right. case. So you need to find a way to make it unbiased to most people. The question that I have for you is that you said that the, that the features and the variables that you, when you are training your, your model in a fairness way, and I wonder is if the toolkit or when you do it, do you have to, if I'm a developer and I have training this model, do I have to say, okay, I would like to focus on that feature, I mean, of that particular feature that could be page, deep code, or whatever? Or does the model does the same with all the features? Yeah, so, so that's a really good question. So the way it's written right now is that you, you feed it your, your probabilities by surrogate class. Okay. You need a class designation for each individual, and you need a probability of mm -hmm. um, protected group membership in that class. Okay. And what, I, what I've found, and, and we did a little bit of analysis on this, is that you get much more precise answers when that protected group membership is precise. Mm. So, like, just, for example, dumping all the non-white people yeah. together into one group, I don't think that's a good idea because, you know, you're saying you're, 
you're, like my next door neighbor who immigrated from India and got a master's degree has the same lived experience as my other next door neighbor who, you know, his family moved from Mexico when he was a kid and, and he's got a, a very different life experience. If you kind of push everybody into one lump, you don't, you don't really see the difference. It's the same problem as just dumping everyone together regardless of race and saying, well, it works for most people, we're good. Right. So for age, for race, et cetera, you want to test those separately. Okay, great. And if I'm a developer, what would be the output that we get from this kind of model? So Jurity has these really elegant high-level APIs. So there's a high-level API that just does every, basically does everything for you, right? You, you tell it your membership probabilities, and you say, I want to know what the statistical parity is, for example. I want to know what the equal opportunity value is for these two groups. And it just spits them back out. And, and it just gives you those numbers. There are lower level APIs where you can actually take a little bit more control of the calculations. You can get more information. So if you're curious about, you know, what does the distribution of the false positive rate look like, the calculated false positive rate look like for each protected group, you can see that. You can actually query it and say, okay, I, I really want to see the calculations a little more awesome. detailed. Awesome. Oh, keep going. This is great. I can keep going. I mean, we I'm can go in details. But I mean, <laughs> it's, I'm learning things. This is fantastic. So, you said about the output that, that most developers will, will, will have. So, does it mean that you need to have some kind of knowledge? or Because if I'm a developer and I'm working in my solution to build, I don't know, a fraud detection system or something simple, and... I would like to use that because my boss is asking me or someone I need to do it for my for my job because I have a, a, a regulation or something, but I don't have these details. I mean, I'm not very statical as a developer, for instance. Um, do I need to really know, I mean, how the distribution works? I mean, do I need to know some statics basics? Um, because probably most people, they like to, or they work with AI, but they don't like to go in the... I, I understand. Low level diesel, right? Yeah, yeah. So they don't want to get a PhD in statistics exactly. to use yes, this. Exactly. Totally. So what I will say is that, like, what I tried to do was take all of my statistical knowledge about how to get the best version you can, like the best number you can, yeah. and that is baked into the software. And again, I tested it really hard hmm. to see where it would fail. And so I try to give some general guidelines, and those are in the tutorial. The Um, the notebook is actually on my GitHub with some okay. like basics about, you know, here are some things to think about about your data. But no, you don't need to be a statistics expert to use this software. And we built it with that in mind. You do need to know a little bit about fairness in general because someone did this really lovely mathematical proof that actually shows if your target's imbalanced, right? So, um, so... Uh, I like to use the example of sourcing tech resumes for women in the 90s, because mm -hmm. I was a woman in tech in the 90s. Yeah. And in those days, you would go to the conference and you'd be the only woman there, right? So, like, it's just your data's unbalanced. Like, there's no way if you were trying to do a resume matching algorithm on that set that you could say, oh, yeah, we hired equal numbers of men and women. If that target is unbalanced, it's almost impossible to simultaneously meet all of the fairness criteria. Like, so there are multiple tests that test multiple aspects of the model, and 
unless your target's perfectly balanced, which is not the case where you really need to test for fairness, you can't meet them all. So what I would ask of developers who are using the software, the end user, is to take a step back and ask yourself, what is the, you know, what is the kind of fairness I want? So there's a kind of fairness where you say everybody gets, um, everybody, I want equal, equality across the groups in prediction, and that's called statistical parity. There's another type of fairness where you say, okay, I want the model to be good at choosing true positives for every category. That's a different kind of fairness. That's a different statistic. I included it in the talk, and the talk's a little bit truncated because we had some technical issues, but it is, it is in the tutorial. Someone did a lovely case study about the, they called it the fairness tree, and how, um, how the model affects different groups. And it basically tells you, you just kind of follow this decision tree, mm -hmm. and it says, okay, this is the fairness statistic you want to use for your use case. Very powerful. That's great. That's great. That's awesome. And, and talking about your, your, your talk, could you go, I mean, a bit in details about your talk? What did you explain in that talk? I mean, what was the, the, the main goal of that talk? Yeah, so the goal of the talk was really to be a user guide to Jurity 2.0 okay. and particularly surrogate fairness. So it assumes that you already know a little bit about fairness metrics mm -hmm. and fairness statistics and how to test. And then it says, okay, you have this problem, which is that you don't have the categories to break everybody up. What do you do now? And then it, it walks you through kind of setting up the data and then setting up the, um, and using Jurity to get the answers that you're looking for in terms of whether your model's fair. I always wonder when we are talking about responsible AI and explainable AI about the, the regulations, because some people, or we can see that, yeah, fairness can help us to improve our models, but it's something that we will do just because we want to do it. And... How you see the the regulation scope on multiple? I mean, particularly in your topic, right? And because I, I think that there is a lack of regulation for most of the things. So, yeah. I don't know what are your thoughts about? Yeah, it. and this is Melinda Thielbar, private citizen, talking. Um, <laughs> so, it's it seems like it's been really, really hard to push like a, a really meaningful AI regulation through, and you see people who really want to make it happen. Like they really want to do the right thing. The White House's AI Bill of Rights is kind mm. of like this wish list of, we really think these are the things that you should consider. And fairness is on the list, ensuring that the models are fair. I, for government, here's the thing that, that I think about is that no company wants to be the one that made the White House that made Congress finally move, right? No company wants to be the case where everybody was like, man, hold on, we really have to regulate AI. And I would say that is the impetus now for doing these tests. And um, again, I think that's why as a community, as the open source community and the AI community, it's a really valuable contribution to make this as low cost as we can, right? Mm. You can't, you can't, close all the leaks, you can't close all the gates, but you can make it possible for people to kind of fence this up and say, this is, this is what we should be doing. These are the best practices. And here's an easy way to do it, right? And that was, that was kind of the marching orders for Jurity. Let's make this as easy as we can for people who want to do the right thing. It's fantastic. Making, yes. the, easy, making the right way the easy way is so important. 
regardless of the technical discipline we're talking about. I think that is rule number one, almost. Security, again, you know, my, my area. Yeah. So important. I wondered if, if we could talk a little bit about openness and AI. That is the conversation right now. You know, there are, you know, some, some of these models are licensed in sort of an, an op- the spirit of openness, but it's not true openness in the, in the way that most of us in the open source community are accustomed to. And, you know, there, there are some announcements happening soon, you know, so this conversation may change in the next few weeks. But I wondered what your perspective is on what, what really needs to be done to, one, def- define the level of openness. What are the other areas of the, the sort of mysterious, unknowable uh, aspects of AI that really need to be opened up and really can be opened up, which is another question that I think I have and a lot of other people do. Yeah. So these enormous systems like ChatGPT that are just trained on massive volumes of data, it's difficult to be transparent even within the organization about the quality of your training data and the source of your training data. And I think if you ask any any AI expert, they will talk about data quality, data sourcing. I've heard this phrase called warming the data, right? Taking this really, this really raw data and curating it in a way that... Um, kind of instructs the model to do the right thing, right? Like kind of pushes the model in the direction you want. So I think like fundamentally or openness about the sources is, is like job number one, what went into that model. And I think also, and those of you in security would be so much help to us in this case, openness about testing and like best practices for testing I've had people ask me about use cases for things like ChatGPT, and they're not, they're not technical, right? They don't, they don't know that if you say something random to a computer, it's going to say something random back. And so if you're in a case where the computer is, you know, working, so like ChatGPT enabling an expert is, is one thing, because hopefully that expert edits yeah. what it says, right? Yeah. But ChatGPT is like just being this loose chatbot that answers any question, very, very different. And so I think a rigorous and open, this is how we tested it. These were our test cases in a way that doesn't like tip your hand to people who are bad actors. In the same way that you like test networks and systems and routers, like, that would be such a huge win for the industry. Yeah, that's a great point. I, 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 inevitably, I have to ask. Um, so, you know, as we wrap up here, I, I wondered if there's anything else, you know, especially coming to events like this, right? We, see, we, we get out of our comfort zone and we see so much interesting work in other areas. And I wondered if there's anything else that's particularly exciting to you, just in the broader open source world, that you, you wish you maybe had more time to investigate or, you know, that's inspiring you or, you know, that you get in. I, I appreciate when people get in, inspiration from sort of interdisciplinary sources, right? I wondered if there's anything you could share with us about that. Yeah, so it's funny because I'm an AI expert and, and I work in artificial intelligence and this is all about like massive, massive data. Yeah. But honestly, there's a lot of things that people do with smaller data and smaller data sets and enabling humans to view data in a different way that I think is a lot more powerful than we give it credit for. So like the R project, which is this massive okay. project is a very different approach to what Python does in how it, it, it does similar things, right? So it still builds models and it still like processes data. But R is really about 
opening it up and showing you what the data does. And there are all of these amazing reports in R that, that give you real visibility into your model out of the box. And they're done with this, this kind of small data mindset. They're, those methods were developed for when you had like this tiny, precious scoop of data that you had hand collected and artisanally collected. And so whenever I see like a really good data viz project, that, that really yeah. gets me excited. And I, um, I, I, hope, I hope we don't forget how to do those as we move forward into you know, chat GPT and, and, and big AI. Oh, that's, a, that's a great answer, and who doesn't love good data visualization, to be honest. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. I, I really enjoyed this. Thank I, you. Thank you, thank Evie, you so much. by the way, because I really appreciated the ability to sit back and enjoy and just listen. I really wanted to be here, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. So thank great. You. This has been wonderful. Thank you both. Thank you. You've been listening to Open at Intel. Be sure to check out more from the Open at Intel podcast at open.intel.com slash podcast and at Open at Intel on Twitter. We hope you join us again next time to geek out about open source.